Welcome back to another edition of the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. Gil McGregor here with Kyle Irving. Kyle, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to talk about the Raps. I know they're uh, not exactly a hot button topic right now, chilling at two and eight, but I'm still excited to talk about them anyways. There's a lot to talk about, a lot of cover after that West Coast road trip. Yeah, yeah you talk about the West Coast road trip and that two and eight record. The Raptors went one and three on the road. Two and eight is the worst record in the NBA tied with the Detroit Pistons, which I don't think any of us thought the Raptors would be at the bottom of the league 10 games into the season. But when you look at this road trip, it, it's interesting enough that you can take a lot of positives out of a trip where a team went one and three. The last two losses in Golden State and in Portland on Sunday and Monday both came down to the last possession. Raptors had chances to win. Pascal Siakam doesn't get the final look to go at the buzzer both nights. And it's just gutting, you know. Um, this team actually is crazy. There's a stat that I've been following for for some time now. The Raptors lose on back-to-back days for the first time since December 2017. So that's kind of just a, 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 I guess, a way of showing how the season's been going. They, they fought. Uh, the Portland game was – they should have won. They were up by 17 at one point. Uh, the, they battled back in the Golden State game, trailed all game. Kyle Lowry kind of comes to play in the fourth quarter, scores 16 in the final frame. They have chances to win. They're up by four. Then Steph Curry makes his only three of the night. And then, again, like I said, the, they can't get the final look to go at the end of the game. I think you feel better about yourself coming out of this break. But at the same time, it's two and t- two and eight right now. There's no moral victories. So it's like, what do you take positive from that? And then the reality is facing you. You got to get better because time waits for nobody, especially in this league when you're six games under 500 in a shorter season, you got to get together. Yeah, like you said, I mean, even with, you know, how unique of a season it is for the Raptors playing their home games in Tampa, they're not in front of, I mean, they're in front of fans uh, or they were in front of fans to start the season, uh, but they're not cheering for the Raptors. You know, a lot of times it seemed like, at least from what you read on Twitter, that the uh, the fans were generally cheering for the other team. So there's really no home court advantage. There's really no uh, home base for the Raptors this year. And a lot yeah. of those things play into like this type of, you know, unique season. And I'm not making excuses for them. I mean, you still get to produce on the court and two and 10 is not acceptable. And that's not where they thought they were going to be at the start of the season, 10 games in. That's not where we thought they were going to be uh, 10 games into the season. But like you said, they've had issues blowing double digit leads in six of their eight games. They've held a double digit lead. Nick Nurse has joked around about it in pregame press conferences and stuff. He was like, you know, we don't even want to get up by double digits. It seems like it's been a curse for us. And, and that really has been the case. But uh, when you do have a two and eight season with a team that you're expecting better results, I think that there, you really do have to look for silver linings. You really have to do, you, you really have to look for positives because, you know, this team isn't as bad as their record shows. They're not the second worst team in the NBA tied with the Detroit Pistons. They don't even belong in the same conversation as the Detroit Pistons. At least, at least we, you know, from what we've seen so far, you don't necessarily yeah. think that. So when you want to talk about uh, silver linings and positives, uh, Pascal Siakam has to be the number one thing that comes to the, the top of the list there because at the start of the season, even though, you know, he wasn't shooting officially, he was still finding other ways to contribute, whether it's, you know, rebounding or passing. He's been passing the ball better than I've ever seen him pass the ball before uh, in his career so far uh, in the 2021 season. I think that, you know, he really came into his own over that four game road trip. I have the the numbers right here in front of me, averaging 24 points, 10 and a half rebounds, seven assists, shooting 52.9% from the field over the last four games. That's better than the Pascal Siakam that we saw that was an all-star starter last season. 
And I think more than anything, and we, we talked about this before we hopped on the podcast, but it's really just that he's looking like the confident player that we saw at the start of the season last year that earned that all-star starting spot to start the year this year, even though he was still finding other ways to contribute, he really still looked like a shell of himself. He looked like the version of himself that we saw in the bubble. And we just couldn't really figure out what was going on with Pascal. Why uh, hasn't he been able to string together good games? Why hasn't he, um, you know, been the player that he was at the start of the season last year. And I think that even though they went one and three on this, on this road trip and yes, he missed both the game winners, uh, both good looks. And I think the Raptors will take those looks any day of the week from their uh, go-to guy and best player. I think that that's the number one takeaway that, if you're looking for a silver lining, you're looking for a positive, you have to realize that that's four good games in a row now from Pascal Siakam. First triple-double of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one rebound shy, and he came out early in the fourth quarter. Could have very easily had that triple-double against Sacramento Kings. Uh, and if you're just looking for a silver lining, a positive, Pascal Siakam, that has to be at the top of your list because he, he was awesome out West. Absolutely, absolutely. You talk about his passing, and that's a good reminder for you guys to head over to NBA.com. Scott Rafferty did a great breakdown on uh, – Pascal's improved court vision. He seems to add so much to his game year over year and passing has definitely been that biggest addition. And you mentioned those missed game winners. And I just noticed the body language of Pascal and the rest of the team when he took that shot in Golden State. I thought it was going in and nobody looked down. Nobody looked upset. Like you said, it looked like they'd live with that shot a hundred times because I think they're confident that he's going to make that more often than not. And that is the biggest difference between where he is now than where he was at the beginning of the year. Like you said, he found ways to produce, but he had two games where he fouled out. He looked like he wasn't enjoying playing. And I think he's gotten back to the basics in a lot of ways, which I noticed getting put back dunks, being active around the rim and not necessarily think saying that he has to play a certain way because he's the number one option. He can still get those energy plays to supplement the plays in which he's, you know, isolating from the top to key or, or, or going downhill. And the fact that he's doing all that, I think it's making his offensive game look much more complete. And again, opening up more things like his passing and allowing us to realize, okay, this might even be a better version of the Pascal than we've seen in the past. And and you take that positive from it. And again, with him playing that, that well, they were right there. They were right there. They're even there in Phoenix too. Phoenix was a, a game where the Suns just uh, t- to start the road trip. The Suns were just on fire. They couldn't miss from from beyond the arc. And uh, the the Raptors probably put forth their best effort of the season. And we were kind of coming out of that game optimistic about what they could do moving forward. And again, just a couple of bad bounces haven't gone their way, which leads them to where they are right now. But they, they are much better than two and eight. But unfortunately. They are two and eight. Uh, I, th- I think the other big development that we've, that we've seen is another guy who is living up to having a bigger role. Chris Boucher has played great basketball, great basketball from Chris Boucher. He was rewarded with a contract over, over the offseason. Um, obviously, the, the departure of Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka have made uh, uh, for a bigger role, left a void. And, and I'm not saying that he can fill it all the way, but, you know, currently – the Raptors need more from Aaron Baines. They need more from Alex Lynn, and they, they've they been really having to get creative with what they're doing in the front court. But Chris Boucher has been that positive for them. He, he had, I think, six blocks against the Warriors, uh, had a really big game uh, to close the trip as well. He's hitting threes. He's doing things that, that he's been known for doing, and he's looking extremely confident while doing so. So... I think we've gotten past the point where, okay, he's just going through a hot streak. This is who Chris Boucher is. And I think the Raptors have found another diamond in the rough, honestly. 
he's been their third best player so far this year, yeah. which is yeah. if you were to have said that at the beginning of the year, I, I mean, actually I, I'm going to, I'm going to pump the brakes on that statement. Cause I was going to say, if you were to say that Chris Boucher was the third best player on the Raptors at the beginning of the year, you would think that their record would be better than two and eight because obviously the front court depth was one of the biggest worries going into the yeah. season. Yeah. But I'm going to pump the brakes on that because if you told me that Chris Boucher has been the third best player on the Raptors, that means something else is going on. Mm-hmm. And maybe that helps explain why they're two and eight, but that's not taking away anything from Boucher. Who's been, incredible i personally think that it's it's with the struggles they've had at center i mean we've seen aaron baines three games in a row now uh, dnp coach's decision he's worked his way out of the rotation nick nurse has started to put alex len in the starting lineup as kind of a filler where boucher comes off the bench and he's been bringing energy and all these things that we've seen him do for the raptors uh, for a couple years now but we're just seeing him do it in higher volume now because he's getting more minutes. He's getting those shot attempts. They need it from him, yeah. uh, whether it's block shots, rebounds, a little bit of a scoring boost off the bench. But I am kind of surprised that Nurse hasn't given Boucher a shot to start. And uh, NBA.com's Carlin Gay always uh, you know, shouts out his weariness of giving Boucher starting minutes because you know, at some point, maybe him playing too much becomes a bad thing. Maybe the amount of minutes in the role that he plays off the bench right now is perfect for him to be as successful as he has been. And I do understand that. And I do see that, that point of view, which is why I bring it up. And I think it's worth noting, but at the same time, he's clearly, you know, presented himself as the best big man, best center on the Raptors roster right now. He fits in perfectly with what Nick nurse wants to do defensively and what the team wants to do defensively. And he can get up and down the floor with, you know, the rest of the guys in the roster, Pascal, OG, Kyle, Fred, and play at the pace the Raptors want to play at. So if, if everything fits into place the way that it should and the way that it seems. I'm starting to feel like Chris Boucher has earned his his chance at least at becoming the starting center. And again, I know that that would the, the Raptors bench is already one of the biggest question marks on the team so far this season. So if you're taking away his production off the bench, then what does the bench unit look like? Now is Alex Len and Aaron Baines both not playing? Uh, there are other questions that pop up if you slide Boucher into the starting lineup, but he's played well enough. He's brought enough energy and he does enough positive things on the court that right now I feel like he's earned at least a chance to become the starting center. Yeah. Yeah. I think that does raise a lot of questions and and we've seen Nick nurse make a lot of changes already this year. He's, he's had to adjust to Kyle Lowry, not playing, had to adjust to Pascal, not playing has made changes in the front court has had the small ball starting lineup with a front court of OG and Pascal uh, with three guards in the backcourt with Norm, Fred and Kyle starting in the backcourt. So logically you would think that at some point uh, Chris Boucher does get in the starting unit. I I think obviously in a perfect world, the Raptors would be getting more production from Aaron Baines and Alex Lynn. They brought those guys in the offseason. It's crazy. Like you said, Aaron Baines with with a couple of DMPs. Uh, I don't think any of us would have predicted that coming into the season. But what I do wonder, and I and I, and I see both sides of it, uh, the, the wariness that, that Carlin comes with and also um, your encouragement or, or what you've been encouraged by to think that he deserves that spot because he definitely has based on his production. I'm curious as to how much of his rhythm is dependent on him coming in, you know, when he comes in in the rotation and coming off the bench to do that and wreaking havoc on second units, so to speak. And I'm wondering if what is best suited is something what we've seen Nick Nurse do in years past, and that is kind of tweak the starting lineup based on the game. Whereas when when Marcus Gasol first got to Toronto, we saw Mark start some games, we saw Serge start some games, and then once they got to the playoffs and and beyond, it was always Mark in a starting unit. But it feels like 
for this team to kind of dig themselves out of the hole that they're in right now. They're going to have to get even more creative, which is crazy because 10 games in, they've, they've tried a lot of different things. But I do think that there are going to be certain nights in which Chris Boucher needs to be in that starting unit. Based on what we've seen, it's just about production and they need production and they don't have time to waste as far as falling behind early in the game or, or keeping the rotation in a way to where they can hold on to these big leads that they've been letting go. So it's certainly something that you, you have to really give a long, hard thought about uh, with Boucher and, and the starting unit. And, and knowing the guys you can, can get consistent production from. And, and that so far this season has been Boucher. It's been Pascal Siakam. And of course, it has been Steady Freddy. Uh, he's, he's, he's living up to the name, living up to the contract, um, looking like an all-star. Obviously, teams who are two and eight don't really get all-star consideration. But inevitably, I think the Raptors are going to get it back together. Um, so far, he's averaging 20.9 points, 5.8 assists, 1.3 steals, playing just as much as he was playing last season. I mean, it, it's clear that he is – we know who he is now, and, and maybe we don't know who he is now because he's continuing to add to his game and, and be better. And, and I think, you know, despite having some down moments here and there, Fred VanVleet has been nothing short of impressive this year, right? I, if it wasn't for Fred VanVleet, the Raptors could very easily be one and nine because <laughs> that Sacramento Kings game the other night when the Kings came out and they scored 40, whatever it was, five points in the first quarter. And the Raptors offense obviously has been struggling all season to that point had been struggling all season. And if Fred VanVleet wasn't there to be the steadying hand that he has always been, who knows how that game gets away from them. I mean, obviously uh, the result ended up being that the Raptors put up a franchise record for the regular season, 144 points, which I still can't even wrap my mind around how they ended up, you know, finding, mustering up 120, 144 points with the way that, that offense has looked at times this season. But again, Steady Freddy was the steadying hand in that game where, where the Kings came out and punched the Raptors in the mouth. And it would have been very easy without Kyle Lowry in the lineup to just kind of lie down and, hey, we're, you know, at that point they were, what, one in six? So they're, you know, it would have been very easy to lie down and be like, hey, we're going to go on to one and seven and let's try and get one of these next two games on the road. Fred VanVleet was a steadying hand there. He was awesome. He ended up putting up uh, 34 points in that game. He somehow has not eclipsed his career high. He flirts with it all the time, but he's, he's getting there, that career high of 36. Uh, but Freddie was awesome in that game. He's been awesome on the defensive end. He's really done a good job facilitating as well, which we already, you know, we knew that he had that in him, but you see that a little bit more when Lowry's out of the lineup. And even though he didn't have the best game against uh, the Trailblazers last night, he was still facilitating and he's still finding ways to make an impact defensively. Um, I think, like you said, it seems like we know who Fred Van Vliet is at this point, but he keeps showing us a little bit more. And that's something that's encouraging too, because I don't think anyone ever considered that the contract the Raptors gave Fred Van Vliet in the offseason was by any means unfavorable for the Raptors. Yeah. But at the same time, it's nice to see him back it up, even though the Raptors are two and eight right now. And obviously things aren't trending in, they're trending in the right direction, but they haven't started off in the right direction. It's encouraging to see that Fred VanVleet is living up to that contract. He is flirting with an all-star bid through, I know it's only been 10 games, but he is flirting with an all-star bid through 10 games, the way that he's playing. And if he continues to play at this rate, it's going to turn into wins eventually. Right now, things just haven't really been bouncing in the Raptors direction. It hasn't been bouncing in their favor. But I truly believe that at some point this season, those breaks are going to start falling in their in their direction. And I truly believe that if Fred VanVleet continues to keep his level of play to the level that it's been so far this season, it's going to play a big role in the Raptors and how they turn around their season this year. 
Yeah, yeah. And again, like you mentioned, it's like a common thing we keep talking about, like like a couple bounces here and there. And really, it's it's been that, you know, you also talk about Fred VanVleet's defense. Steph Curry goes two for 16 uh, on Sunday when the Raptors made that trip out to the Bay, which typically if you hold Steph Curry to two for 16 shooting, especially I think a week to the date of him scoring 62 points, you expect to win. Um, so they're doing the right things to win. And because of those guys, and it, it, I mean, Boucher is still young by NBA standards because he's just gotten to the league, but he just turned 28. Uh, Siakam and Fred, Fred Van Vliet are both 26. They'll turn 27 this season. OG is 23. Those are your guys right now that you're, you're building towards the future. And obviously Kyle Lowry, we know who he is. There's a reason he's the greatest Raptor of all time. We saw it on display in Golden State. It hasn't necessarily been the most notable year for him, but we know what he does and what he's capable of doing. So there, there are good things that we can take away from where the Raptors are right now. They're, they're playing more of their brand of basketball, which is what Chris Boucher said after the, the, the Trailblazers game. It just hasn't bounced their way yet. That being said, there are still some troubling things that have persisted throughout the first five games that we thought would kind of shake by now, but they're still prevalent with this team. And I guess I ask you, which of these three things that I kind of highlighted are the most troubling and concerning for you? There's the defense, which I believe is in the bottom 10 in the league right now, defensive rating, which is completely uncharacteristic uh, of this team. They're, they keep blowing leads. They, like I said, they led Portland by around 17, uh, I think. And, and then Portland kind of just chipped away at the lead. And then it was a, a back and forth game down the stretch. The Raptors offense dried up. Then there's the issues with the bench. Um, Norman Powell has had moments, but he hasn't been the norm that we know uh, consistently throughout the season. Um, specifically, as Scott Rafferty pointed out in 10 observations from the first 10 games of the Raptors season, which is on NBA.com. You should go check that out if you haven't already. He hasn't been shooting well inside the arc. You know, I think we know Norm, uh, you know, as far as knocking down open shots, but being active and getting to the lane, getting to the rim, finished around the rim. And I think it's a pretty low percentage um, for his shoot shots around the rim. So, or at least with inside the arc. So I, I, I wonder of these things, when you look at these things and what needs to get fixed immediately, I, all of them need to be fixed. But what do you think will fix itself? What do you think will get fixed moving forward? And what do you think is the most important to fix? Is it the defenses? Or, or maybe they maybe they all tie together, the defense, the, the blown leads, and, and the second unit not necessarily playing up to par. I do want to talk about the second unit, and I want to talk about Norm in particular. But I think the biggest thing for me is the defense right now because the defense is usually you know the, the cinder block building block of – the Raptors identity. They're usually one of the best defensive teams in the league. And I've already highlighted this, I think in two different articles on NBA.com, uh, just about how they're usually the, the golden standard for the shell drill in the NBA of just, <laughs> it seems like they're in years past, at least in the, over the last two seasons that they were, uh, you know, all attached, all five defenders were attached together on a string. And it just always seemed like they knew exactly where to be to rotate on defense and come up with a stop. And this year that just has not been the case. And their defensive rating actually looked a little bit better through the first couple of games of the season, despite the record, because they had held the Knicks to under 90 points. But I think that that kind of 
it, it made that number, obviously, again, small sample sizes, one bad game or one good game can change so much through the first 10 games of the season. But because of that one game, it always made their defensive efficiency number look better than it really was mm-hmm. at the start of the season. So if you were just on the outside looking in and you were looking at offensive and defensive defensive efficiency and you're like, oh, all right, well, they're still one of the most, you know, their defensive rating is still one of the highest in the NBA. But really, it's it's an outlier from one game because of it's, such, it's such a small sample size. And I think now that they've played 10 games where, it, like you said, they're in the bottom 10 in the league in defensive efficiency. Uh, that's where you start to see that it's a glaring problem this season. And again, to give Scott a shout out in that uh, 10 thoughts from the first 10 games of the season, he pointed out how uh, the Raptors have given up 120 points per possessions in more times this month, four times than they did all last season, which was three times. And that's just an, it's an unbelievable stat to see for a team that prides itself on uh, tough, hard nosed defense. And, it doesn't make a ton. Obviously you lose someone like Marcus all, who is one of the best defensive centers that we've seen in our lifetime. Yeah. Uh, and then you lose another vocal veteran who holds down the middle and Serge Ibaka. It makes a huge difference. I understand that. But a lot of times when you're looking at the, the five guys on the floor, it's five guys that are familiar with the system. Let's say that it's, you know, Lowry, Van Vliet, OG, Pascal, and Boucher. That's five guys that for three years now have been practicing mm-hmm. with Nick Nurse and learning the defensive schemes, and even they're still having lapses. So I'm not exactly sure what it is defensively that they need to do differently. And obviously not having Surgeon Mark in the middle there makes a huge difference as well. And, and like we said, in an ideal world, Aaron Baines would be playing – playing at all first off, but (laughs) more so just making an impact when he's on the floor. And secondly, maybe Alex Lund could give some sort of valuable minutes as like a a physical rim protector. Like we thought maybe he could at the start of the season, but right now I think it's really just getting back to that, that core identity of being a defense first team, because we know they're going to have their stalls in the, uh, front court, or I'm sorry, in the half court on offense, we know that sometimes the offense is going to get stagnant because that's just what the case has been since Kawhi Leonard has left uh, without having that safety valve of, okay, nothing's really happening in the half court right now. Let's give it a Kawhi and let him figure it out. Those days are long gone at this point. So you really have to dig in defensively first, become a defensive minded team first again. And I think that's where the wins are going to start coming from. So that, that to me is without a doubt, the number, even though everything that you mentioned is uh, certainly relevant and they need to turn those things, other things around like bench depth uh, to start winning games again, it all starts on the defensive end for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and anybody who's listening that played basketball at any level, whether it's middle school, high school or college or, or anything knows how painful it is to go through those shell drills and then somebody messes up and you have to start back from the top. So you, you, you bringing that up kind of uh, put me back in that in that space for sure. One thing that also reminded me of is I think you pointed it out uh, that Celtics game earlier in the year that the Raptors blew uh, a, a pretty hot start and then they just kind of fizzled very quickly. They lost track of Jason Tatum. Like it, it's the NBA, so you don't want to lose track of anybody, but they didn't lose track of Shimmy Ojale. They didn't lose track of Grant Williams. They lost track of Jason Tatum. Like how do you do that defensively? I think that just shows the type of lapses that this team is having how uncharacteristic they are that they lost track of an all-star an all NBA caliber player on defense, which like you can't afford to do that because even if he was having an off night, those are the type of looks that get a guy going. Like what, like what, what is that? Like who to is make this? matters who? even worse that that happened amidst a 21 point quarter for the all-star forward in the <laughs> other four players, just cause I remember this specifically cause I wrote about it and I tweeted about it. But the other four players on the court at that time, it was uh, rookie um, Aaron Neesmith. 
it was Grant Williams, it was Robert Williams, and then like you said, Shemi Ojale. So it's like, where are the other offensive threats there that you're really worried about where you're losing a player that an all-star forward who single-handedly was turning the game on its head at that point, 21 points in the quarter, lose him wide open in the corner for three. That's Those are the exact type of lapses that I'm talking about on defense that we would never have seen from the Raptors two seasons ago. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like, this is a weird season, obviously, for every team. Uh, everybody's dealing with it in different ways. There are guys missing games. Teams are forced to play with six players like we saw Philadelphia have to do over the weekend. And the Raptors have to do it even more. They're practicing in a, in a ballroom. They're in a temporary home, this and that. And, and I realize that that does have an impact on player psyche and on players – you know, in, in approach to the game. And it is very different. And I think that maybe that's contributing to the mental aspect of it and to make matters more difficult. They've played seven of their first 10 games on the road. So maybe as they get more used to a routine and, and the NBA is even adding new things, new rules as we speak. Uh, they recently just as of today, at the time of recording on Tuesday, January 12th, have released way more health and safety protocols that teams have to abide by as the season continues to go on. So it, it's an adjustment period for every team and even more so for the Raptors, including the fact that they have to incorporate new players there in a new area and all of these things, I think, do impact um, the things in the margins and the details with the communication and losing players, even if it's an all-star with 21 points in a quarter. Um, so I do think those things we'll, we'll see sharpen up. And, and another point on Norman Powell, he's shooting 31%. He's connecting on 31% of his two-point attempts just to uh, bring that together. All that being said, the Raptors return back home. And I said in quotation marks, they return back to Tampa uh, for two games against the Charlotte Hornets, much improved Charlotte Hornets team LaMelo Ball looking like a rookie of the year candidate. It's actually a five-game homestand. This is a very important stretch for the Raptors. Hornets twice, Mavericks Heat twice. I don't I, I don't want to get to saying they're going to go 5-0, they're going to go 0-5 or whatever, but I do think that they're, tr they're trending in the right direction. But what do you think is important as this new stretch comes up? I think it's important to capitalize on these games. I think the Hornets are a much improved team, but very winnable games. We saw them in the preseason. They're much better than they showed in the preseason. What are you expecting from the Raptors this upcoming stretch? What do they need to continue to focus on? Do you think that they're going to kind of have that breakthrough where they can maybe string together some wins and, and make things make that record look a little more respectable? I think that the main thing is that it, first off, it probably works in their favor. The Hornets have been playing good basketball as of late because it, it helps them get up for the get up for those two games a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, they have to be much more attentive because Gordon Hayward has been playing out of his mind so far to start the season. Like you said, Lamelo looking Ball has thirty been, million dollars. He has been looking like he's worth thirty million dollars. I was actually thinking thinking about that the other day. Uh, that that's two times in a row now. The Hornets have. Uh, gotten some slander for big contracts that they signed in the offseason. But Terry Rozier has been playing really well too. And like you said, LaMelo Ball is coming into his own and finding a way to make a significant impact more than probably anybody ever expected. Mm -hmm. And the Hornets, are they, they are. They're stringing things together and they're playing good basketball. But I think that that helps the Raptors because it's going to help them get up for those games a little bit more than in the past. And they know how important this five-game stretch is. Like you said, you said four tough games out on the road. And obviously it would be nice to be coming back to Toronto at this point to play yeah. in front of 
potentially a home crowd of, of any sort, but uh, obviously that's just not the world that we're dealing with here in 2021. So it's still important. They go back to Tampa. They, they need to take care of business against the Hornets in at least one of them. That's for sure. Got to get at least one of those two games. And then the, the Miami heat are another interesting team because they haven't exactly played up to the level of basketball that they were playing in the bubble last season either. And, you know, Bam's been solid, but he hasn't been the player that he was last year. Jimmy Butler is kind of picking shows when he's going to show up. And I think that's really going to be a telltale test for Toronto because that's, like I said, that's another team that's looking to get their season back on track at this point. They're four and four. Uh, they, They unfortunately had to miss couple matchups against the Celtics or a matchup against Celtics because of uh, health and sa- safety protocols that game got postponed. Um, but I think that when it comes down to it, that's those, those two games against the Raptors are just as big for the heat to get their season back on track as it is for the Raptors to get their season back on track. And again, talk about two teams that uh, they're just, it's defense first. It's hard nosed basketball. They're both playing the same style of basketball to try and get their season back on track. So I think that it's, it's, even more important while the Hornets, the two matchups against the Hornets are important. All of these games are important at this point to try and write the ship and get their record uh, trending back in the right direction. I think those two games specifically against the heat are even, they add another layer of importance because it's two teams that are kind of dealing with a similar issue of, all right, we've had a slow start to the season. If we were to beat this team, it could get our season turning back in the right direction. Like if the Raptors were to come up with two wins against the heat, that's massive. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, they're back in the playoff hunt and uh, all the questions kind of fall on the heat of, did they catch lightning in a bottle in the bubble? Yada, yada, yada. Obviously the narrative changes based on what happens. Whereas if the heat were to snag both of those two games and let's say the Raps go one and two against the Hornets and the Mavericks, all of a sudden it's like, uh, all right. So we're looking like forward to what the 2021 draft class. It's, it's crazy how quick the narrative can change. So I think that uh, even though the they have to worry about who's in front of them first, which is the two matchups with the Hornets and the matchup with the Mavericks, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to seeing which team gets their season trending back in the right direction with those two matchups against the Heat. Yeah, yeah, it is crazy how quickly a narrative changes. A week ago, we were really concerned about Pascal Siakam, and, and a week later, we're really encouraged. So a week from now, we could be very encouraged from what we see uh, against the Raptors. I, I do think that each of these teams provide uh, a unique test we, we mentioned Lamelo ball and, and that second unit of the hornets is, is led by him and that's a perfect test for the raptors who are having bench issues so for, for them to outplay the hornets bench i think that'll be a key for them to continue to compete and, I, and again i like what you pointed out about the heat this hard-nosed defensive style this identity that heat culture that they really pride themselves on well, the Raptors have a culture that they pride themselves on, too, and, and certain things haven't necessarily looked like uh, the Raptors. So what better opportunity to do that uh, than against a team who really does have its own set of standards that it tries to uh, kind of play by? And, and and this season, they're right up the road from you. So it's going to be an interesting stretch. And, and obviously having Luka Doncic and the Mavericks sandwich right in between, they are currently dealing with some COVID issues as well, had a, had a game postponed and uh, their game against the Hornets, actually, which is the Hornets could be coming into Tampa on the second end of a back-to-back if they are to play against the Mavericks. It, it makes it a very uh, intriguing stretch. You know, after 15 games, the Raptors, I don't know if they'll, they'll go five straight and be seven and eight, but I'm sure they would hope to be you know, maybe six and nine. Uh, I don't think that, you know, going four and one, five and 10 isn't terrible, but six and nine actually looks like, okay, this team can kind of, Maybe maybe start clawing back. I do think at some point down down the stretch this season, I don't know if it'll be in the first half or second half, we'll see the Raptors string together 
six, seven, eight straight wins, and, and they'll kind of claw back up to 500 eventually. But hopefully it's not too late. I, I like what you mentioned. At what point do you think it is too late? If they're five and 10 after 15 games or four and 11 after 15 games, is it time for, for Raptors fans to, to start heading over to, to look at uh, some NBA draft coverage and, and maybe turn on some NCAA basketball and learn about guys named Kate Cunningham and, and turn on some G League and, and learn about Jonathan Kaminga and, and Jalen Green? What are you thinking about that? I don't know. It's just because trying to be optimistic because I, I just truly believe this Raptors team is still a playoff caliber team. I, mm. I, my opinion on that has not changed even after a two and eight start. And I mean, it's worth mentioning real quick that even though they're two and eight, they're only two and a half games out of the quote unquote playoffs because yeah. of the playing game this year. You True. only have to get to 10th place where you could have a, a chance to uh, fight for your life in a seven game series. But it's, I mean, obviously if, you know, Worst case scenario, they were to turn around and go zero and five, and they're two and thirteen to start the season. I don't think that the I don't think it would be necessarily called jumping the gun if the Raptors started flipping on Raptors fans started flipping on some NCAA basketball, or maybe they start tuning into what's going on in the G League bubble with guys like Kaminga and Jalen Green, like you just said. But at the same time, I think Raptors fans should remain optimistic because their things are looking up at this point. And if they were to go even two and three over that stretch, at that point they're four and eleven. Yeah, it's not great, but again, they're probably still only going to be two and a half games out of a playoff spot. So it's really only going to take one good stretch. It's That's the beauty of small sample sizes and us only being 10 games into the season is that, um, you know, it, it's one good stretch that can turn things around, completely flip a narrative. All of a sudden, you know, you're one or two games under 500 and you're fighting for that seven, eight spot. And then, you know, maybe you win two out of the next three and then you're back in the contention for the six seed. So, um, I think what's interesting is that we're not exactly sure what the Raptors ceiling is anymore, where yeah. at the start of the season, maybe we thought that they could string together another season like they did last year, where all yeah. of a sudden they're second in the East and they're contending for the number one seed with the Bucks. I'm not sure that's their ceiling anymore, but I still don't want to call them, um, you know, a team that is destined for the lottery at this point, a team mm -hmm. that, you know, if you're a fan, start looking toward the 2021 draft. I don't think that's the case just yet. I think that would be an overreaction. Um, so I, I'm going to kind of maintain the course and just, you know, try and keep positive and say that uh, the playoffs are still in sight. Uh, it's a big five game stretch coming off a tough, you know, one and three on the road. Uh, I still have high hopes for the Raptors and, and think that they can turn this into a productive season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like that whole concept of churning away. Yeah, I think the big thing is you're not going to make up being six games under 500 right away. You're not going to win six games in one night. You're not even, you're probably not going to, follow up the start with a six game win streak. It could happen, but you know, if they make up these six games over the next month, month and a half, it won't be like this start didn't happen because uh, you, you'll maybe go back and look at some games that you should have won and been like, man, our record would be different. But I, I remember coming into it. I, I was saying that I think the Raptors had a ceiling of third in the East and wouldn't finish any lower than six. I do feel like now it's probably lower to about fifth. And I don't, I still can't imagine them as a playoff team right now, but I do think that pump the brakes on the, on the draft lottery talk. I just think that there's so much to be sorted out. There's so many teams that have come out the gates looking way better than they actually are. And again, the Raptors looking way worse than they actually are. The only thing that's working against their favor is that this is such a short season. Typically you'd have 72 games left, but now they only have 62 games left, which seems like a lot in theory, but I think that midway point of the season is going to come up much faster than we realize. Speaking a little bit about those G League Ignite prospects and the G League, it is set to begin 
in a bubble in Orlando in the month of February. Don't know exactly what date, but it appears that teams are going to play 12 to 15 games. There'll be a single elimination tournament with eight teams. And I think 17 teams are going to the bubble and the G League Ignite, which is made up of prospects, draft prospects, as well as some veterans like former Raptor Amir Johnson. They will be competing as well. The Raptors had uh, the Raptors 905 drafted two players. Kavon Harris uh, was a senior at Stephen F. Austin, which is a perennial uh, mid-major competitor in the Southland, Southland Conference. Is that right? Sounds about right. Southland. Southland. Stephen F. Austin. Top of your head. Yeah, I, I think. I think that's it. They, they they make it to the tournament fairly often, and they drafted a familiar name, Gary Payton the uh, second is a guy who will also be joining Raptors 905 alongside two-way players, Jalen Harris, Yuta Watanabe, who's looked pretty good with the Raptors effort guy. Uh, Dewan Hernandez, who was drafted by the Raptors last year, uh, is more than likely going to be with Raptors 905. Alizé Johnson as well signed an ex- Exhibit 10 conf- uh, contract with the Raptors for the preseason. And another one, former lottery pick, Nick Stauskas. Uh, they're calling it the Jeremy Lin rule where guys are – being allocated to their local team. So the Mississauga native will more than likely be with Raptors 905 in the G League bubble. And I think that is another talent pool that we could see the Raptors look towards for a boost. I don't know exactly how it's going to work with uh, getting guys out of the bubble and sending, especially the two-way guys, sending them down and back. I'm sure it'll be a process of quarantining and things of that nature. But um I think it kind of works in the Raptors' favor that they're 45 minutes, an hour away from Orlando. They'll, they'll, they'll be closer to their uh, to their guys right now. So any names stick out, anything that you, you think about? I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with Kevon Harris, but Gary Payton II has, has had a couple of moments around the league. Nick Stauskas is just trying to find some somewhere to, to kind of stick. So uh, what are you thinking about the G League season in, in, in total and, and uh, the Raptors' 905? Not to take away from the Raptors' 905, but I think the G League season as a whole – uh, it's it's awesome that they found a way to make this work because of that G League Ignite roster. And there's some really talented players that for the first time, if you're again, if you're unfamiliar with the situation, Gil already said that it's a mix of draft prospects and veterans, but um, more so than ever before, the NBA is using this as a pathway for players that mm-hmm. uh, want to get paid instead of going to the NCAA. So as opposed to someone like LaMelo Ball going overseas and playing in the NBL for a year before coming back to the NBA and being drafted, now players can stay in the United States. They can play in the G League and play for this G League night roster where they're learning uh, NBA terminology. They're learning from NBA veterans. Uh, the head coach is Brian Shaw, three-time champion with the LA Lakers, with Kobe and Shaq. And uh, the two names that we highlighted in particular, Jalen Green and, and Jonathan Kaminga, are, are both perennial top 10 picks in yeah. the upcoming season. So I think that something that's really interesting is while the G League is always an opportunity for players to showcase their talent and prove uh, that they might be able to make an impact on an NBA roster, which NBA teams are always keeping their their eyes on players that are performing well in the G League. Christian Wood is one of the first names that comes to my mind who is a G League standout, and now he's uh, terrorizing the NBA, and he's looking like he's going to be, or at least at the start of the season, he's playing all-star caliber basketball for the Rockets, even though the Rockets have a three and five record. Um, but I think that it's more so than anything, if you're looking to tune into something else because of the Raptors slow start and maybe looking in a direction of, all right, well, where can I look for players they potentially could select in the draft? If that's the, the, um, you know, hat you're going to put on as a Raptors fan right now with them at two and eight, I think that the G league is a good opportunity for that because Jalen green and Jonathan Kaminga are two extremely talented players that are, like I said, could be top 10, top five picks, even, 
uh, that, I mean, Jalen Green's a prolific scorer out of this world athleticism. Jonathan Kaminga has a lot of Kawhi Leonard in this game as a two-way player. And I think this is going to be a really good opportunity for those guys to get up to speed and play against uh, players that have either one fighting for a spot in the NBA or two have a spot in the NBA, whether it's as a two-way player or have had a spot in the past. So I think that's something that's exciting to look forward to in that G League bubble that's coming in February. Yeah, I like the point that you pointed out that these aren't just any old draft prospects. Like Darius Baisley is another guy who did a unique path and he ended up being like a mid to the late. I think he's taken like around 19, 20, whatever. These are guys who could go as high as like three or two. Uh, these these aren't guys who are, you know, just, you know, the, your late lottery type guys. This could really revolutionize the way we see prep two pros kind of happen. Uh, you and I have both had an opportunity to interview some of these guys through some Zoom sessions. And we're learning a lot about just how they're being trained to be professionals from 17, 18, and they're going to be ready. And I think they'll have a leg up. We, we've already seen it. We see it with LaMelo Ball. We, we've seen it with some of these guys who come to the league because they've been professionals already. They are a little more versed uh, with with doing some things that you know the way they practice the way they 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 learn the game that's one thing we hear over and over again NBA terminology there's so much stuff that will give them a leg up so these are guys who will have an extra uh, a bit of knowledge uh, as they uh, come into the NBA ranks to where they can probably make an impact right away so it'll definitely be something to to look as history could potentially be made uh, in the way we see the game itself i know you and i will continue to have good coverage over that and the entirety of the g league but specifically those ignite guys throughout the year so over on nba.com please check that out and follow that. another g league related note canadian o'shea Brissett was drafted by the fort wayne mad ants the raptors 905 couldn't bring him back there's some contractual things that uh were unable to bring him back. I think it's something like cap circumvention to where it would have looked like they were trying to dance around the salary cap by bringing him back. So he was unable to return to his hometown team, but he will be playing in the G League bubble per the NBA G League draft board, and he will be with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. So yeah, the G League season is, is going to be underway, but before that, the first order of business is this important stretch for Toronto Raptors, and I'm sure a lot of people will say it's the most important stretch because it's the next stretch. So Hopefully, next time we are uh, breaking down and looking at this, the Raptors will have continued to uh, make the most of the things that they are learning and the positive signs they're showing, and they'll translate into wins because it appears that they're right there. So we will see. The Raptors are, again, back in action in a few days. They will take on the Charlotte Hornets at Emily Arena. No fans in attendance now. For the time being, uh, there's been a spike, and then, again, that will be the first of five straight home games for the Toronto Raptors in Tampa. Until next time, continue to keep it locked in with the Raptors Pod Table podcast and on YouTube, Global Hoops Official. Please make sure to subscribe, like, and give us some feedback on our videos as well. It's a new thing, so we're going to keep going with that as well too add to the content that we're providing you. And of course, head on over to NBA.com for everything else surrounding the Raptors, the best Canadians in the NBA, all the Canadians in the NBA, including Kareem Mane, who's made history in being the first player to go from the level that he played at in Quebec to the NBA floor as to a player with the magic and much, much, much more. It's been an interesting NBA season. Uh, a lot of teams look like contenders. A lot of teams look like pretenders and 
there's a lot that we have not been able to decipher through the first 10 games. So keep it locked in with NBA.com for everything surrounding that as well. That's it for this time. For Kyle Irving, I'm Gil McGregor. Thanks for tuning into the Raptors pod table, and we will catch you next time.